This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Real tough. Few chances we create, we concede few too, but uh, yeah, we knew it. A lot of games, every two, three days playing is not the terms, just physicality, mentally. And uh, we knew it today after 10, 15 minutes, we spoke with, uh, with the guys in the bench, said today we are, we are not going to paint something nice, so today it's time to suffer and uh, uh, yeah, big, big congratulations the guys, it's not easy to do 14 games in a row in the Premier League, 20 in general. And uh, yeah, good, good boost for us for the next games. Off the ball kicks off now on BFM 89.9. Pep Guardiola speaking after Man City's hard-fought win over West Ham United at the weekend. A win which moved them temporarily 13 points clear at the top. Should we just not do the show? Is it all done already? Is it done? (laughs) (laughs) It's it's me, Ross. Welcome to Off The Ball. Special guests joining me this Monday evening, although I don't know why they bother. Craig Wilkie is here. Hello, Craig. It's always a pleasure, Ross. What are you talking about, Dan? There's plenty of football left to be played. <laughs> Goglin certainly thinks so, because Villa won at the weekend. What's up, Cogs? Hey, hey, good to be back. Hello, everyone. Uh, and fresh out of confinement, um, <laughs> new dad, <laughs> Arvin Sidhu. What's up? Hello, everyone. It's good to be back talking football. <laughs> it's good to have you back, Carvin. Tweet us all. Find us all individually on tweet, uh, on Twitter or, or tweet at BFM Radio. Follow us on social media. It's BFM Football on Instagram and on Facebook. So we heard Pep at the start. City extended their astonishing winning run to 20 matches in, in all competitions. Craig Wilkie, I mean, 12 games to go now. It's it's done, and and if it is done, this will be Pep's greatest league triumph, don't you think? Uh, it'll it'll be a triumph for sure, and and it's looking very likely now, isn't it? <laughs> let's, let's be honest. I think I might stick my neck out now and say that Manchester City are are favourites to win the title, and the way they've gone about it though has has been kind of interesting because for. A lot of spells this season, I don't think they've been at their best No, by any means. It's been a slightly different version of City that we've been watching. And that's, that's a good thing in some ways. I think we've seen an evolution of, of how Pep has been setting out his team. And maybe not quite as fluent as we've been used to in the past. Maybe not quite scoring as many goals as was once the case with City. But that solidity. And you, know, you look at the resurgence of Stones and that partnership they established at the back with Diaz. Of course, they came up with the, with the goals, which was kind of extraordinary in it's, itself. That's taking the mickey, isn't it? When you get your two centre-backs to get the two goals. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. That's really a, just, a, just rubbing it in. A little bit, but that their, their whole season has been based on that stability, that defensive solidity. And, of course, the other thing that we shouldn't forget, especially while other sides, such as Liverpool, such as others, have been struggling with injuries and the depth of the squad and so on. And I know City have had theirs as well with Aguero and KDB. But you look at that bench that they, they had on, <laughs> on Saturday. Cancelo, Jesus, Foden, Sterling, Rodri, Laporte. If you can have that on your bench, you, you could take that side and augment it with a few kids and they would finish. Maybe, <laughs> I don't know, they might, they might challenge for the top, top four. Top six, and, for sure. Yeah, right? Top six, for <laughs> yeah. sure. And so, I mean, we've known for a long time the City have that sort of strength and depth, but being able to keep that squad together, keep them happy. And I, and I think they're going to have to build again. You know, I, I, I watched Aguero and it just looked like he was coming towards the end of, 
I think Pico Guerrero has definitely passed. Yeah. So that's probably an area that they're going to look at in the summer. But that squad, the way he's got them playing, that that solidity that we talked about is going to be enough to take them to the title for sure. The, the, the caveat for Aguero is maybe he is rusty. He's, he's back after a long layoff. But but for Villa Gogs, no shame. Oh, sorry, not for Villa, but for, for West Ham. <laughs> no shame in, in defeat here because I thought they put up a good fight. And hey, if this if they make Jesse Lingard a permanent move, what a signing he would be for them, right? I know that Lingard has added on a certain dimension to their uh, attacking side now and taking off the weight of Antonio to a certain point. I mean, against Villa, so look at the, how clinical he was. You know, of course, I mean, Martinez gifted him a few, but you know, he's added that added push to for David Moyes' side. And he was saying, West Ham are a top four side now. You know, and City gave them the respect they deserved and played and. He, West Ham were no what, uh, hard shakes. They played to their strengths, kept City at bay throughout the game. And of course, you get, if you get your defenders scoring, then you know, you've done most of your jobs, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. 200 wins for Pep Guardiola in his 273rd game in charge. Fewest games needed by a manager in the English top flight. City are now unbeaten for 27 matches, Arvin. They've won 24 of them. Um, I mean, they're, they're not enough nice things to say about them. What I mean, okay, let's assume they've got the league. What else do you reckon they'll win this year? They're targeting the quadruple. I mean, he he in himself, he's he's in another league cup final. Uh, they do they, they've got a great result away at Mochen Gladbach for the Champions League. You would expect them to move into the quarterfinals for that. They're always a good good shout for the FA Cup. So he takes every competition seriously with Pep, and you can tell. And like you said, fastest manager in English football to get to 200 wins. Um, he will take all of this seriously. Obviously, he will always be judged on the Champions League um, and the delivery that the owners would expect of him. But I think there are two things that has worked for City this season. One is getting him to sign that new deal yeah. for Guardiola has given a lot of stability to that team. It's given him a new they, lease of life as well. A new lease of life. And like I've said before, this was his biggest challenge because he needed to build a second team. The other bit is, and we talked about it at the start of it, it's a perfect beauty and beast pairing when you look at Ruben Diaz and John Stones. We remember <laughs> the days of, of Rio Ferdinand and, and Vidic. Vidic would be the one that would clear everything up and then Rio would come out as yeah. a ball-playing yeah. centre-back. This is what it is because yeah. Ruben Diaz is an absolute monster of a defender and then for John Stones to score the goal that he did, while Riyad Mahrez did a lot of nice work on the right, and he passed it to Johnson. Johnson needed to be very instinctive in how he took that shot, and he did. It, so they, they it, it wasn't just that; it was John Stones putting his hands out, going, "I'm free. I want Give that. I want ball. that. Exactly, exactly." <laughs> and, and the most craziest bit of this, all of it, is while they've played together, they've scored more goals than they've conceded. They've conceded three goals, and they've scored five. For a defensive partnership, that is absolutely unreal stats. So I think those are the two things that, that has worked for them this season. But they will be wanting to go for the other three. And this is a formality. Every other team should just be giving them a card of honour right now. Yeah, well, are we witnessing the greatest ever football side? Ever, ever, ever. Let's move on. Man United did not um, <laughs> give City put up any barriers. In fact, they cut the 13-point lead down to a dozen points now. So it's all right. It was nil-nil against Chelsea, billed as the big game of the weekend. It was drab. It was dull. Um, Craig Wilkie, I know you're a Liverpool fan. What can you say about that game? <laughs> you say it was drab, it was dull. 
<laughs> Actually, um, yeah, it, it wasn't a brilliant game of football. And it, it, it was interesting even listening to some of the interviews afterwards that both managers, both sets of players, I think they came away with a sort of similar feeling as well. And I, I wasn't all that surprised, to be honest, because I feel on the one hand, took all the ways setting up Chelsea is definitely defensive-minded first. Not to lose, yeah. Yeah, you know, he's, yeah. he's really established the kind of structure that he wants his team to play in. I don't know that it's the most exciting. I think it's quite effective in terms of, you know, how you maybe retain possession, how you maybe nullify the threat of the opposition. But he said something really interesting after the game because he was asked about, you know, maybe the lack of penetration, the lack of goals. And he said, well... You know, I can't fault any of my players for their effort and their commitment and the intensity at which they're playing. They're giving me all of that that I've asked for. But then sometimes when they arrive in the box, they look a bit exhausted. Hmm. And I think that's, that's true. But it's also the manager has to take some responsibility for that. You know, if, you, if you're going to play in the shape that he has, part of it has to be about how you control the game, how you control the tempo of the game and make sure that you can keep possession for spells and that you can give yourself a bit of a breather on the ball. And then you have enough energy to go on and, and try and make things happen in the, the final third. And t- I'm looking at it and thinking, if I'm a Chelsea striker, you know, I think Werner's had a few, <laughs> few critics this season, but it doesn't look like a very fun system to play in when it's, when it's as rigid as that. Yeah. And on the other side of the equation, you know, I've looked at Solskjaer over his time in charge at Manchester United and uh, he talks a lot about, you know, reestablishing the kind of Ferguson era and that style of play that Manchester United were associated with. And, but against big teams, for me, he tends to retreat into his shell a little yep. bit. You know, again, yep. he sets up defensive-minded first. I want to make sure that... And, and, and often does it very well. You know, United haven't conceded a lot of goals in those games. They've often come away with draws away from home, you know, that kind of thing, which is not necessarily a bad result, but it's not going to take you on to challenge City for the title. I think you have to be a bit more progressive. That's that's Man United in a nutshell there from Craig Wilkie. And that is mainly down to Gogolin. Lack of quality available on the bench. There isn't a number nine. I mean, look who they brought on. Anthony Martial. I mean, okay, I grant you, he gave us lots of fire, lots of determination, and he nearly scored. Oh, wait a sec, he didn't. No, it was completely the opposite. <laughs> I, know, I, know, I know you're a big fan of Martial. I know from your <laughs> tweets and your posts. So I know you're not going anywhere with this. But you're right. There's no like, lack of quality. And, you know, that was because they didn't want to spend money on, when, with Solskjaer in charge. And at one point, he wasn't even going to be until now. He wasn't even going to be on the job. So the fact that you all are sticking with him and it's going to be a project, I think you all will start spending money eventually that, and start backing the manager. Because you're right. There's no quality on the bench for you. To, there's no plan B. You, you got Greenwood, Rashford up there. From, from a United uh, point of view, that the big plus is Daniel James. Okay, he's learning to be just more than a really fast runner now. He's, he's trying to add more things to it. But Arvin, I want to ask you this. Uh, was Callum Hudson-Odoi's arm in a natural position? No, it was, it was definitely a penalty for me, that one. And I can understand why we have had now the week where I'm sure we will talk about the Brighton game later. But there has just been another case of absolute craziness from it's the referee. It's crazy, yes. It's absolutely crazy. And, and and I know Luke Shaw will be will be probably offended for this. He will probably be taken to probably a certain a certain ban or, or he will be reprimanded in a certain way. But he came on and said the ref did say to Harry Maguire, if I give this as a penalty, it's gonna create a lot of talk. And that's potentially why he didn't give it. But that, that was a clear clear daylight penalty. And, and you can see why Ole has come out and said the likes of, of Jurgen Klopp has come out and pressurized his team by saying that they get more penalties than Liverpool has ever gotten. 
So, yeah, it's unfortunate against Stuart Atwell. The highlight of the game was the penalty call, which shouldn't be when you have these two big teams going up against each other. But the one concerning thing for United is just like last season where they fell off at all those semifinals, they have scored one goal against the top six opposition. They just can't score. They can't score against the top six opposition. And the one goal that they did score was the hammering that they got by Spurs earlier in the season. So that is something that Ole needs to figure out. How do I take this team to the next step? And like what we talked about, maybe it might be more spending more coaching of the current players, it could be a variety. It, it, it would be really nice if Ole figures it out before next Sunday because they've got Man City <laughs> away. So um, let's move on and and talk about uh, Leeds United nil, Aston Villa one. Um, this was uh, it was yeah, both teams shorn of of star players. I mean, I'll come to you first, Gogs, because Villa won this game. It won without Jack Grealish as well. So that's that's very important on its own. It is, it is. I mean, I think what you alluded to in our chats, that we have to look for life without Grealish, right? This was uh, looking at the quality of players that they brought on to, you know, play this game. Right? Uh, against Leeds is one of our big rivals and we always, we're always up for it. But Leeds were on a real, real uh, form after coming back exactly. from Southampton, right? Yeah. yeah. So, and we were like without, we were just coming back after the Leicester game without Grealish. But we played, we got that early goal, but we defended solidly. And that is one of the benchmarks of Villa team this season, the defense. You know, I was watching that first half and I was like wondering, you know, the, the first 20 minutes spent after we, after we scored, Leeds were all over us. But, you know, Emmy keeping was a solid bedrock with Mings up front, clearing everything. So, you know, I, the confidence is there now that the bedrock of this Villa team is the defensive unit. Reluctantly, Gogs is trying to indirectly say John Terry is, is ace. Aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> He's done well. He's done well. Arvin, I want to ask you this. The Ellen Road pitch, is it the undoing of Leeds United this season? Now, I understand because of COVID, it wasn't relayed in the summer. Um, there was no pre-season. So you've gone into it. It looked threadbare in, 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 in parts. It, was, it can't be nice playing on that, especially the way Leeds play as well. No, uh, it was worse when we lost to Brighton. And then they, they came in and they fixed it a little bit. And it, it's just given way again against Villa. Uh, but take nothing away from what Gox has said. I, I thought Villa defended resolutely on the day. Uh, everything that Leeds threw at them, Rafina, Bamford didn't, didn't, didn't get a sniff at it. Uh, the, concern, the concern with Leeds is, for me as a fan is that while we are on 35 points, two more wins out of the next 12, 13 will take us to, to, to the 40-point 40, 40 mark and we will 60, stay up. Yeah. That will happen. But Leeds have this tendency where is they, they live by the sword or they die by the sword. They, they, the team has, has drawn two games. They don't draw any games. Either we go into it by winning or we go into it by losing. And the only way that they can continuously build is by turning some of these games into draws, the ones that they are losing, just like the yeah. Villa one. Yeah. Uh, and, and Bielsa came out at the end of the game and said that we just we didn't create enough chances on the day um, and credit to Villa on the day, but uh, it will be like this for, for, for Leeds for the remainder of the season. Do, do you, okay, do you reckon a massive plan B is needed? I, I mean, someone like of the ilk of uh, Romelu Lukaku, you can bring off the bench, a totally different kind of Leeds United player. They can just bulldoze your way to a goal. Nah, nah. Uh, Bielsa doesn't work that way. I, 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 I want to ask you, Avin, is Bielsa going to stay? Yeah, he will. Uh, Bielsa has come out already and said that he's never felt an affectionate fan base as much as a Leeds fan base. They're already drawing up targets for the next season. As long as Leeds stay up, 
there will be that feeling that he deserves for that team to run out in front of fans. So I'm what pretty confident that. Yeah. Well, what if a big team from the continent comes calling? I mean, I doubt on. it because Bielsa's never been that type of a manager. You look at the likes of Marseille, Lille, Lazio. He's always been a project-based manager, and I I feel that this is the club that he's been at the longest. Obviously. Oh, how long has he been there now? Now he's been three three seasons plus already. So he's been with us the longest. But yeah. He will stay, uh, but Leeds have to get promoted. Have to stay up, which I'm pretty confident we will at this stage. All right, brilliant stuff. We're going for our first break. You stick with us. Back right after this. They are off and running in 2021. Off the ball on BFM 89.9. Well, the rules have been clarified and, and they've looked to, to balance things fair in a fairer fashion. Off the ball on BFM 89.9. And we're back. Back with Craig Wilkie, Goglin and Arvin Sidhu looking at the weekend's Premier League action. Leicester City 1, Arsenal 3 was a, a bit of a shocker because the way it started, Craig Wilkie, when Yuri Tielemans put Leicester 1-0 up after six minutes, you thought... Oh dear, has Arteta picked the wrong team here? William's going to do nothing. Pepe on the other flank, blah, blah, blah. But it didn't work out that way, of course. No, it didn't at all. Though, as you, as you rightly say, I think six, ten minutes in, that was where everything was going. And it was quite extraordinary, actually, looking at some of the reaction on social media of just how hated William is already on the, <laughs> among <laughs> right? Arsenal fans. I, I mean, they... they it's, it's not that they don't trust him. They just, he seems to have become an emblem of all that they see as, as being wrong with the club, which a little bit of that, I, I think, is slightly harsh. I, he obviously hasn't had a great season, but he hasn't been quite as dire, perhaps, as, as some of that abuse that he's received would, would suggest. He put and in a good you, shift. Let's, let's hands yeah, up. Yeah, here, he, right? he, he, yeah, he did. And, and to be fair to Arteta, who, as you say, put himself under a little bit of pressure, perhaps, with the team selection that he made. I think we were all surprised to see... Obama Yang on the bench, maybe Saka on the bench as well. So there's another manager going away from home against, you know, a slightly bigger team and, and playing it a bit more cautiously, perhaps, and then getting off to such a bad start. But that's where, if you can see some progress for Arsenal, is in that resilience. Because not so long ago, I think to have lost a goal at that point away against a side like Leicester, you would have seen the heads drop. Absolutely. You would have seen them st- start to, you know, just just lack that belief and, and, and fall away out of it. And they actually responded okay, and I, but I think some of, the, some of the way in which that happened, you actually got to look at Leicester because they didn't, really, they didn't actually start that well, although they, they got the goal ahead. Um, and then they, they sort of faded out of the game a little bit and let Arsenal come back into it. But having yeah. done so, Arsenal actually built on that little bit of kind of life that they were given in the game and in the end proved to be very worthy winners. So yeah. um, it's, it's the sort of result and to some extent the sort of performance that will give them a lot of confidence. Pepe with a man of the match performance. I don't think that's ever been said before. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, Okay, the the only negative side for Arsenal was that Emil Smith-Rowe went off with what looked like uh, some sort of bad injury. But Leicester, on Friday, the guys were saying, Arvin, that maybe getting knocked out of the Europa League is good for Leicester because, you know, then they can concentrate on the top four that they missed out on last season. So this was a big one for them to win. Not only did they lose at home, sixth time, seventh time this season, uh, they also lost um, Harvey Barnes and, and Johnny Evans. Now that's massive. They, they'll feel like it's almost Groundhog Day compared to last season. Because, right. Yeah, last season they, they fell away. But this season, after Liverpool, they're the team 
that has gotten the most number of injuries. You're looking at the likes of Fofana, Wesley Morgan, uh, Ayose Perez, Justin Madison. is out for the season, <laughs> Madison, now Harvey Barnes, and then and, and Johnny Evans. So it's 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 concerning because the amount of depth that's been ripped off from a club like Leicester, it's very hard to sustain it when you are competing at that level. But yeah, the, the number of home losses that they've had is concerning. Not really the best two-year anniversary for Brendan Rodgers because this was his two-year anniversary with the club. Uh, so yeah, they, they, they go again. Uh, I hope that they, they make it through because I personally like the project that Leicester has got. They've got a great training ground coming up as well. But the injuries have to clear up for them to avoid what happened last season as well. Mm. Um, just to go back to Arsenal here, Gogs. Um, got, I know he takes a lot of flack. I thought David Luiz was quite solid. Uh, again, you don't say that very often <laughs> at the back uh, for Arsenal. Um, looks like uh, maybe him and Mari could be a partnership. We, we know Tierney uh, adds solidity to Arsenal. I mean, this, this, I put Arsenal on the same rung as, as Aston Villa in terms of rebuilding teams and, and where they want to go and all that. How, how do you think yeah. Arteta's doing? I think I think that's a very good uh, valid point that you've just made that you know that the, the project we're all talking about projects yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. Arteta has a project, right? So we have to give him time. They're blowing hot and cold at times. You know, just when you think they turn the corner, they come up with a, another product. This Leicester game, like Craig was saying, you know, to come to go one nil down at Leicester side that is you know blowing uh, on all fronts this early was any Arsenal. Uh, we would have expected Arsenal to fall apart three four nil. But they came back and they won and with goals from David Luiz and all that. You see this project is taking shape, but it's going to take some time. So the Arsenal fans really need to sit down and really understand where they, what is Arteta going to do. I think most of them do, but you know, to give William that much flag is unnecessary. It is a part of a project. He comes in when he needed. And it's the times when he will be needed when the times is known. Mm-hmm. I mean, Smith-Rowe is actually one of the parts of that project. So I think that his injury might be a bit of a concern. Yeah, but then maybe just softened by the fact that you have Martin Odegaard, who actually looked quite useful when he came. Yeah, now he is. He is looking. Yeah, yeah. You know, I like that when players take on people, and he looks like what he is. He is one of those players. So great stuff. All right, Arsenal project going along nicely. Jose Mourinho needed a win this weekend. Oh boy, did he need a win this weekend? Uh, Tottenham four, Burnley nil. The Spurs fans have been crying out for a front three of Son, Bale and Kane. They got it, Craig Wilkie. And oh boy, did they get it. He did at at long last. I feel as though I've been coming on the show for about two months now. And I've been saying, don't worry, Bale's going to get it right. He's too good a footballer to keep playing the way that he has been. But actually, when you look at it, that point is, I think everybody, Spurs fans especially, were so excited when he returned, and the prospect of that front three of Bale, Kane, and Son. And actually, this was only, I think, the second time that they'd started a game together, something like that. And so it's not just about the time that he needs to develop a partnership. If you look at it, to be fair to Bale, in the latter stage of his career at Madrid, he actually played very little football. Often he was on the bench. Quite a lot of the time, he didn't even come off the bench. And so he didn't. Well, yeah, it's true. He's, he's kept his fitness levels up on the course. There's no, no question about that. But it doesn't matter how good a player you are, how, how fit you keep yourself off the field, you still need a run of games. And it was obvious to me that whatever form he was in, at some point during the season, if you're going to get the best out of Gareth Bale, you had to start him for seven or eight games in a row. Yeah. And that's how, long it, that's how long it would take just for him to get back up to speed, for him to get the sharpness back. But the, the great thing for me was he looked a lot closer to that. 
And he just looked like he was enjoying his football. I think Mourinho came out after the game and, and said that. And we don't know maybe some of the things that have gone on, you know, behind the scenes on the training grounds, you know, all of that stuff and how hard he's been working or not. But there was evidence, if you needed it, that Gareth Bale is still a very, very talented footballer and it's going to add so much to that team and to that squad. And if he can play regularly and really develop that partnership with Kane and Son, then a lot of teams are going to be experiencing something a bit like Burnley. Although I felt Burnley were the, the authors of their own downfall to a considerable extent. Well, but absolutely. Take nothing, Bale, take nothing away from Bale. It was a great performance and one that he and Spurs needed. My favourite was that, that, that ball to set up Kane for the goal. How, how he mm, just right, yeah. pinged that across. Um, but yeah, um, Jose said... Hey, I, I, I do that every Sunday, man, and he's telling me to keep going. <laughs> <laughs> well, I said ping it, uh, not, not flop it. <laughs> Quite different. Jose said before the game that this was probably the fittest Gareth Bale had been since he came back and joined Spurs. And lo and behold, it was a great performance. But yeah, I mean, what can we say about Burnley, Arvin? There's, there's really not a lot to say. They, it's about their level. They do crumble every now and again. They just haven't got the quality uh, that's needed. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's come to a point that I actually enjoy watching Sean Dyche's uh, press conferences much more than the way his team <laughs> plays. And, and probably Des, Des should pick that up Did as well. Did you hear what he said about Nick Pope? Exactly. Give me a bag of crisps and yeah. a lager, and I'll be and I'll, and you can Tottenham can have him for fifty million. <laughs> but anyway, Sean Sean Dice, yeah, but but he would have been disappointed because as a manager who prides himself with dour organizational uh, efficiency at the back, they they were the architects of the round ball, like exactly. what Craig said. The third goal, especially with the header giving that opportunity, the space given in the first and the fourth. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, when you look at that 11 on, on the day itself, James Tarkowski and Ben Mee, they were part of the malice and the problem at the back. Dwight McNeil created very little. But they're all good players. When, they're all just they're all okay a collective players. off day. Exactly. But when you when you consider that Nick Pope was your best player on the day, that kind of yeah. says it a lot. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. But but they'll be there about. They'll survive. And the question is, what do Burnley as a club want next season? Do they want ambition to try something different? Or is it just sustainable as to remain every season in the Premier League? That's up to the owners, right? Gogs, where will Spurs finish this season with 12 games to go? Uh, top six. They're, they're top six, top four side. I mean, like uh, Craig was saying, if Gareth Bale gets his game right and Mourinho sticks to his front three, that front three, I mean, it's it's a no-brainer playing them, right, against any team. The, the, the attacking world they will have will outplay their defensive uh, frailties in the end. Mm. So they will. they're minimum top six. All right. Brilliant stuff. Good win from Jose and Tottenham. We're off for another break. More of the weekend's football right after this. Immediate thrust, recognisable certainty and a nasty dig in the ribs. Off the ball on BFM 89.9. Five yards out, unchallenged, unmarked, makes absolutely no mistake. Off the ball on BFM 89.9. And we're back. Gogs, Craig and Arvin here on a Monday evening, looking back at the weekend's football. Hard to believe that the season's nearly done. 12 more games to go and season's over. What what a season. There'll always be an asterisk next 2020-2020. Oh, this this time, huh? (laughs) Yeah, no, for sure. It's it's going to have no fans for the entire season, right? Um, (laughs) 
Actually, last season as well. That's that's, that's yeah, a, yeah, yeah. a lot of asterisks being thrown around here. <laughs> All right, let's clear up the weekend's football. The early Monday game, three fifteen a.m. kickoff. Sheffield United nil, Liverpool two. Um, Klopp's boys back to winning ways, cutting the loss of. I think if they made it five losses in a row, that would have been the first time, Craig Wilkie, since 1953, I was reading. So, uh, unwanted record avoided. But, uh, yeah, Sheffield United, good team to play in these circumstances. Yeah, it pro- probably was. And an important win for Liverpool, just, just to try and get back on track a little bit. I've, I hoped, I felt as though the, the Champions League result might have done that. It didn't look so when we came back to league business. And this one, without, I don't think Liverpool were back to anything near their best. But maybe that's understandable with some of the injuries that we still have and some of the, the chopping and changing that's still going on with the side. But keeping a clean sheet was a, was a big thing, given, given recent performances and results. And you've got two new players coming in and playing centre-back. Yeah. into a difficult situation and they have they need a bit of time you know we're talking about Gareth Bale but they need a bit of time to you know develop an understanding with whoever it is that they might be be playing with I'll tell you I was I was happy for Firmino because he's another player who's maybe been a bit up and down this season and is coming for a bit of stick in some quarters but I felt as though he had a real game and it's interesting when you listen to the likes of Salah and you listen to the likes of Manny talking about him they're so full of praise for what he does not only in terms of his work rate and we know the kind of how he sets the tone from defending from the front and all of that, but just a great player to play alongside because the way he creates space, the way he sets them up for chances. And I think they feel as though he's very much undervalued in terms of the, the broader conversation that people have around Liverpool. So delighted for him. And I think it's just one of those games that Liverpool needed to, to get a little bit of confidence back, pick up some points. And you know, I think Klopp was almost starting to talk a little bit kind of disconsolately about could we finish in the top four? I think it's absolutely still on when you look at the, the league table, when you look at some of the struggles oh, on yeah. the other sides. Yeah, absolutely. It's going, to be, it's, going to, it's going to be very competitive, but let's certainly not give up on that right now. And if Liverpool can just start to get back into a little bit of that groove, then I think they've got a very good chance of still finishing top four. Massive game for Liverpool coming up in midweek. Talk about that later. Moving on, weekend's matches. West Bromwich Albion won Brighton nil might sound like a nothing game. A eh, Arvin. <laughs> but so much happened in this game. We had a free kick goal that was disallowed, reallowed, and then disallowed again. We had two penalty misses from Brighton. Um I, I don't know, man. Uh, where do we where do we start with this one? There's a bit of both. One is Lee Mason was it. Uh, and I can understand why Nuno Espirito Santo came out earlier in the season and said that he's just not good enough at this level. And this game was a second evidence. He was supposed to be the fourth official, by the way, at the Man United game. And they dropped him because he had an injury. I'm pretty sure there's a bit more to that than what has happened. But absolutely chaos. I mean, I can understand. I, I just feel Brighton is probably the most unluckiest team this Premier League season has had. From so many results that have gone their way, to this free kick fast that has happened. But at the end of the day, when you're given two penalties also, you need to start converting them as well. When the second one, when you know when Danny Welbeck is going to take that second one, you know it doesn't look as good as it's supposed to be. 
So I just found this incredible. Even Big Sam came on and said, it doesn't matter how we play as long as we get three points because he knew he got away with that one. West Brom were great at the, at the beginning. By the end of it, Brighton took over. Brighton didn't get their goals. And if Brighton go down, it will be a lot for the fact of what externally has happened and how unlucky internally things have been for them as well. Now, now we're all sitting here and, and looking back at the weekend. And, and really, I mean, the, the, the things that happened in that Brighton game were laughable uh, uh, regarding VAR. So let's, let's just... Uh, currently, it's run by referees, right? So you've got referees sitting in a room advising other referees. Now, they don't want to make each other look bad. It's not their intention. Do, do you know what I mean? So you, you get the fact that I, I don't want to say there's colluding going on. But would it be different, say, if we had X players in charge in the room watching VAR and advising referees? Do you know what I mean? Exactly. I mean, I, I, I think you brought this up before and I totally agree. It's a great point because these guys can be advising referees on the state of play and what to expect on the other uh, mechanics of the game, you know. You're right, referees are not going to give are going to back each other up regardless. Subconsciously they'll be doing that anyway, right? Because they and don't want to overrule another the referee. The fact that what Arvin brought up earlier on that, that Luke Shaw said it. I mean, it's it's hard to believe that he would make something like that up, you know, that that the referee said, "Oh no, I didn't give it because of of uh, of all the hoo-ha that might come up later on." But anyway, this one is a uh, Let's keep this can relatively half closed, shall we, for now? <laughs> because VAR is, is yeah, it's going to stay. I, I don't know how they're going to make it better and, and not laughable. And people are just going to, in the end, say, yeah, but VAR, that league doesn't count. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's asterisks, uh, asterisks. Asterisks, asterisks. No, it's, <laughs> it's going to be interesting to me when fans go back in the stadium and what yeah. the reaction is. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's going to be a, a massive turning on it and we'll see how how well the officials and those in charge of the game stand up to that and I, I agree with you I don't think it's going anywhere but one thing it has highlighted is just how poor the standard of officials absolutely. are absolutely so it's it's not I mean you know you know I've always been in favor of scrapping VAR it's, I've never been a fan but that will only solve half of the problem you've got yeah. to look at those referees and and the job that they're doing and right now across the board they're not doing a very good job yeah I, I think what VAR has done now is is the definitive offsides now. So you can never trust a linesman anymore. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, and, and the fact that they, keep, they leave the flag down with the most obvious offside really annoys me. Do you know, if you watch, when you watch it, can you imagine how it must be in the stadium or playing? Like that, that's, that's the reason why VVD is not playing now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, okay, uh, one more game to clear up there. Newcastle won, Wolves won. Um, just a word about Newcastle. If anyone's going to get dragged in, I mean, Fulham, we're seeing resurgence from them. If anyone's going to get sucked down, it's going to be Newcastle, isn't it, guys, Harvin? Oh, definitely. I mean, uh, they, they are most bright, the two bright spots that Newcastle have is basically Miguel Amilor and St. Maximin. When they're not there, they don't do what they need to do. That, that team struggles so bad. Jamal Lascelles had to show up to show Joe Linton how to score a goal. That, that's, that's how concerning it is for, for them. Joe Willock looks like a decent acquisition that they got from Arsenal. Um, so that will kind of help them along the way. But they've got a huge game against West Bromwich Albion next. That's got, that's got almost to a point that, like you spoke about the Fulham resurgence, but Big Sam would have taken that. He got three points from the last game. Can he build on that? And Steve Bruce, they, they, they're just a miserable bunch up there for Newcastle. I feel really, really sorry for the fans. And the fact that the fans are not even there adds to the more 
more more issues that they're having. But yeah, it's it it doesn't look good. If any of the teams is going to be dragged down for me, it's going to be Newcastle. Yeah, um, Almiron I think is injured as well, so yeah. that doesn't bode well for Bruce and Newcastle. I, not a lot you can say about Wolves this season. I know, I know they're shorn of of Jimenez, which is massive for them. But even before that, Gogs they were plodding along. It was a weird Wolves this season uh, regarding their their buying and selling policy. They got rid of some massive names. Never really replaced them. Um, now one-one. They're lucky not to be fighting relegation, don't you think? Yeah, exactly. I mean, you hit the nail on the head. You, they've sold some massive players. Their replacements are not there. What is the, What are they going to do? They they were going so well. There was a project again, another project that was doing really well, and then you sell key players and not replacing them. What, what do you expect is going to happen in a league as competitive as the Premier League? This is going to come and bite you. So yeah, to the fact that you just said it, that they're not uh, fighting a relegation battle is already a plus point for them this season. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, the last remaining game, uh, Crystal Palace nil, Fulham nil. We'll say nothing more about that. Uh, instead, we'll go into a break and tell you that when we come back, we'll start looking forward to the midweek football. That's next. No happy return, but a reality check bordering on a rude awakening. Off the ball on BFM 89.9. Their season off and running with a goal inside eight minutes. Off the ball on BFM 89.9. And here we are, Gogolin, Craig and Arvin looking forward to another midweek of football. Who needs sleep? It's overrated. I love getting up for 4.15am kickoffs. <laughs> I'm not bitter. Everton versus Southampton is one game left of round 26. If I think I'm right in saying that. Tuesday, 4 a.m. kickoff. Now, if Everton win this, they, they're back in there. They, I, I think they, they might know. I know they're not going to oust Liverpool now. Their goal difference is not as good as Liverpool's. But they'll, they'll draw level on points with Liverpool. And they do have a game in hand, more importantly. Um, Everton, this season, hot and cold, Craig Wilkie. But still got the potential, right? Yeah, uh, so, I mean... What you just mentioned there, if and potential, those are the two, those are two words that still kind of hang over Everton's season. And there's no question that there's been progress there. You can see, again, you know, we keep using this word project, but you can see what Ancelotti is, is trying to do. You can see that with the players that he's brought in, you can see the improvement in terms of that squad. But that said, for all the praise that we've given Everton at times this season, and rightly so, we're getting to the crunch time now. This is, this is the real critical moment of, are they going to go on and really make a challenge for, definitely should be making a challenge for Europe, but they could and should be making a challenge for the top four, given where they are right now. And if they're going to do that, then games like this at home, and with no disrespect to Southampton, just because they've been in slightly poorer form recently, those are the types of games you're going to have to win. Yeah. And even if you're not playing well, you've got to find a way to get through those games if you're going to have any realistic aspirations of, of landing in the top four. So Ancelotti doesn't need me to tell him that. I'm sure he's aware of that. And I'm sure he's, he's making that message very clear to his players. But I think at this point, it, it becomes about mentality. He knows he's got good players in that team. He knows that man for man, they're probably a better side than, than Southampton. But when the pressure's on now of really having to, to turn those games into results, can they go out and deliver against that? And that's what we're about to find out from Everton, I think, over the course of the next two or three weeks. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Southampton are in mid-table, but they are in a slump. For Everton, Dominic Calvert-Lewin and Allen are both in contention. 
Uh, Yeri Mina and Gabarmin, Jean-Philippe Gabarmin remain out. Aurel Romeo has been ruled out for the remainder of the season. Fractured ankle again, suffered against Leeds. Minamino has a hamstring strain. So Southampton have their problems going into that game. That's a 4 a.m. kickoff. Man City versus Wolves is Arvin Sedu, Pep Guardiola notching up win 21, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 a pretty much formality <laughs> for me. This one, like I said, everyone should just give them a card of honor. The question is going to be who are who are they going to going to bring off the bench? I mean, when you have someone who has revolutionized the way they play, like Cancelo, to come off the bench and not start the last game, then you know you're in trouble. Uh, they will give the likes of Sterling an opportunity to come in back in again. While Aguero looked like what we talked about earlier, a little bit rusty, but he looked more leaner and he has spent a lot of time out. So to give him more opportunity to run and to more opportunity to get that goal would, would help the confidence as well. Yeah, I mean, I, you look at both these sides here, City with so much to look forward for. And Wolves, which without Jose, uh, without Jimenez, even William Jose has come in and not really helped their, their cause. So pretty straightforward one, this one. If there was going to be a challenge this week, it was going to be the, the, the game that they just passed for, for City, but they've got through that. I don't expect them to have any issues against Wolves. Yeah, Cogs. I mean, the good thing for Wolves is they don't have to worry about the threat of relegation. But last season, they were Europa League quarter-finalists. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. Wow. I, 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 just, I saw, I read that and I went, oh, yeah, they were, weren't they? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Again, if you, don't, if you don't solidify your assets like that and you don't buy enough replacements, you... So it, it's the case that they, they just didn't add to the squad after selling. They didn't buy. Yeah, I mean, and, and considering they buy. they've got the Portuguese link with their agent and all that, nothing. This, is what was, this was surprising. This was surprising. It could have been because of the lack of money. That's the only thing I'm thinking because they've already made so much money on this thing and it was a year, you know, a special year that every, every club lost money. Maybe the, there was no uh, wheeling and dealing going on that there was no money to be made. That's the only reason I could think of, you know, because they have a pipeline. Okay. Man City Wolves is a Wednesday 4 a.m. kickoff. Burnley versus Leicester City is Thursday at 2 a.m. Now, Leicester City, Craig Wilkie, suddenly this has become a massive game for Brendan Rodgers. Uh, we can only assume what kind of team he's got <laughs> after injuries uh, that he can put out. But still... You'd expect they've got quality. I mean, Chengiz Under and all that were all on the bench. You know, they're all good, good players still. Yeah, well, as you say, a very big game for both sides. For me, after the performances of the weekend, they're going to both want to bounce back just at a performance level-wise. Leicester, the other thing for them is that, I think we touched on it earlier, they will have in the back of their minds what happened last season. You know, they started so well. They put themselves in a really great position for a long time, it looked as though they were almost guaranteed a Champions League spot. And then they faded away towards the end. And just as you were saying, let's not forget, there's, there's only 11, 12 games left. You know, so we really are reaching that crunch point of the season now, whereby you've got to start putting in that performance level consistently week in, week out, if you want to maintain a position like that in the table. Now, of course, it's not been made any easier by the fact that they've got so many injuries. I think it was already mentioned that Perhaps only behind Liverpool, you know, they've they've had more injuries mm. than that. So it's it's not going to be easy. But I mean, that's that's what Rodgers was brought in to do, right? You know, was, he's brought in to take them up to that level. He's done a very good job of that so far. And this again is about can can he maintain that and really take them on to finish the job this time round? And it's going to be tough. But again, a game like this is where you're going to really have to deliver. Thursday, two a.m. kickoff, Burnley versus Leicester. Sheffield United against Aston Villa is also. 
Thursday at 2 a.m. Gogs, the Europa League spot is kind of within reach now. Do you know what I mean? I mean, let's face it. You go to the bottom side, three more points here, and ba-ding! Yeah. Well, the caveat is the fact that I'm on this show means... <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on. You won last time and you did all right. I also on the show, was I? Yeah. But anyway... You're right. The Europa League is uh, within a shot, but I don't think that's one of our uh, KPIs. And again, after what we did last season, this is the fact that we're uh, in a good position is a really good. Of course, whatever we get now is a, a bonus. I tell all the fans who are moaning and whinging about games that the fact that we're 8th, ninth, you know, this, this is already the uh, achievement of sorts. The team is, and the fact that the team is playing the way they are playing and one of the more interesting teams to watch on, on the Premier League right now, I'm, I'm there with Leeds and uh, Spurs and all that. It's a bonus for us. So yes, the European League is within year shot, but I think uh, regardless, we would like to do see where we end up and try to keep our main players for next season. Yeah. Uh, Villa looking for the double. Esri Konza scored uh, when they won 1-0 at Villa Park in September. That's Thursday at 2am. Thursday at 4.15am is Crystal Palace against Manchester United. Now what they do not want Arvin to do is another draw. They really need the points here. I, I mean, City looming at the weekend, so you kind of really need the three points here, don't you? Yeah, but United are away from home against one of the teams in the bottom half of the table. You would expect them to get the result that they need against a, a Crystal Palace team that just don't win without Wilfred Zaha. Wilfred Zaha is still out. Uh, Eze, Eze, couldn't, Eze is a very good player, but he's still not at that Wilfred Zaha level yet. So you would expect United to come back roaring before the big derby on the weekend. And the fact that they, they drew against against Chelsea when, again, I still feel that they were a bit hard done by because of the penalty decision. But yeah, uh, I, again, this one is another one that United would expect to get that away point that they that they did. The, the concerning bit is that uh, Roy Hodgson came out the other day and said that after their, their, their draw with Fulham is that while we are assured in our eighth season back in the Premier League, we have shown a real desire not to lose. That's that's the mentality that Roy has and has. A real <laughs> desire not to lose. So yeah, if as long as Ole shows ambition and he will, they, they should be able to get the points. All right. Thursday 4.15, that one Fulham versus Tottenham could be quite tasty. I Well, both teams are kind of in form here, Gox. Who do you fancy for this one? Yeah, I think Fulham because uh, you, like you said, they are on the up now and they are... They have a trajectory to go over. And I think, like you said earlier on, Newcastle might be in trouble if Fulham start to pull out the scores. Because Fulham, uh, 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 there's always one team that pulls out at this stage. And Fulham is looking that, like that. I mean, you got to admit it, right? If you look at it, the, every season, there's one team that just pulls out. Last season was Villa. So this season, I think it's Fulham. Mm. It'll be a massive spanner in the works of Jose Mourinho in North London, that one. Uh, Liverpool versus Chelsea is the tie off the midweek. Uh, Chelsea sit in fifth place, just a point uh, behind West Ham. Now, Liverpool need to win this to make up ground, Craig Wilkie. Um, you think they're going to have the same settled centre-back pairing for this match? Or will it be a more experienced midfielder going back because it's Chelsea? Well, we're running out of experienced midfielders well, to go back is, as that's well. That's the other thing as well, isn't it? <laughs> that's, that's part of the issue. So I wouldn't be surprised to see that same partnership lining up again. And it is a huge game for both sides. It's a slight disappointment to me that if we go back not that long, 
maybe only a couple of months, we, we were getting so excited at the prospect of maybe a four or five horse title race. And, you know, it, it started to look like this strange season might shape up a little bit like that. And in that context, a game like this would have just been, you know, absolutely incredible. Um, of course, it's not quite turned out like that. And we expect City are going to kind of romp away with it comfortably for the title. But that battle for the rest of the Champions League places yeah. is yeah. is really, really heating up. And I think it's going to come down a lot to those head-to-head fixtures. So from that point of view, this, this is a really big one. And Liverpool at home, maybe even more so because of the recent difficulties that they've had of, you know, the losses in the league, that they'll just want to reestablish again that performance level and making sure that they, they do the job at Anfield. And I expect, I expect a quite cagey game, actually. I think Chelsea will come to defend first and foremost. So we'll, we'll see. It could really use an early goal, I hope. Arvin, do you think Tuchel will still remain unbeaten after the match? Someone needs to score against Tuchel because no one's been able to score against Tuchel. That's the first thing. So, uh, what what Liverpool have to do is basically they, they a lot has been made of the injuries defensively. And granted, it's it, the, the luck that Liverpool have gone through is so unfortunate. The amount of defensive injuries they've had, the amount of midfielders they've bought back and who've got injured as well. But the front three are just not as gelling as they did last season. Yeah. Yes, Firmino got one the other day, but. Mane got a goal which was offside. Salah had some opportunities, but you expect him to put it last away last season. But Tuchel is slowly, slowly chipping away. I mean, the formation is got that 3-5-2 a little bit with Hudson Odoi on the right, right wing back and, and Ben Chilwell on the left wing back. He's slowly chipping away. He just needs to start getting them a bit more fluid playing. But any new manager coming into a team, that's the problem Lampard had. Yep. They were conceding unnecessary goals. Yep. Tuchel has come in, consolidated at the back and... In time, he will need his team to express himself. So the first first thing is for Liverpool, someone has to score against Tuchel. No one's been able to do it so far. Yeah, all right. Well, that's the big game. And that's basically all your midweek football. We're done here this Monday evening. I'm going to say thanks to Gogolin. Cheers, boys. Uh, thanks to Craig Wilkie. Thank you very much. And thank you, Arvin. Thank you, everyone. Have a good week ahead. Yeah, have a great week, guys. I'll speak to you all on Friday. Bye now. <laughs> Off the ball every Monday on BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, the business station.